Hebrews chapter 2, if you would turn there with me, we're going to uh, have another uh, time in this book. We're going to move through it. We may take a break away from it from time to time. But uh, Hebrews chapter 2, as it was read for us this morning. I rather imagine if uh, you were to ask some people during this month, what is the true meaning of Christmas? Oh, some of them are going to say, well, it's a time for uh, giving and receiving gifts. It's a, a, a time for family to get together. It's a time of joy, a time of uh, get-togethers and parties, and those things are true. However, if you ask someone what is the true meaning of Christmas, you would want an answer that um, God has given to us in his word. And actually, the answer of that is found in this passage of Scripture as well as some others as well. And I think you could summarize, and I think you'll remember this too, three words, the true meaning of Christmas, three words, God became man. That's it. That's the true meaning of Christmas. In fact, you can share your knowledge of Christmas with someone who doesn't have any idea what it means and say, listen, the reason we celebrate this what the world calls holiday, uh, is because God the Son left the glories of heaven, came down here, was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, went to the cross, suffered and died for our sins, and rose again. God became man. Uh, there are many, many scriptures that verify this truth, of course. Mark 10:45. you have Jesus' own words when he said, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So you could say, you know, Jesus was born to die. He was born specifically to die on the cross, to shed his blood, to pay the payment for our sin, and we will see this in this passage of Scripture this morning. I was reading an article this past week on the fact that, and this is, I don't have anybody in mind when we mention things like this, but there's a lot of um, areas where certain believers um, are not given the Word of God like we like to examine it. Uh, they don't open their Bibles. They're not familiar with terms of uh, theology. Um, one of the terms in theological circles is the word incarnation. And that's an important word. It really is because it's the word that says that God the Son took upon himself flesh and blood. And that's again mentioned in Hebrews chapter 6. God became a man. Without losing his deity, Jesus Christ again left the glories of heaven and took upon himself flesh and blood. In fact, uh, the Bible is very clear that the Lord Jesus is defined by the miraculous, uh, the um, virgin birth, his sinless life, and his bodily resurrection. They're all miracles centered in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, it's a real privilege we have uh, to tell family members to teach to others what the real meaning of Christmas is and who the person of Jesus Christ really is. Uh, in fact, uh, two of the Gospels, um, Matthew and Luke, uh, begin with the miracle which C.S. Lewis called the grand miracle. Now, there's a lot of miracles in the Bible, but he said it's the grand miracle. What's the grand miracle? God became man. That's the 
grand miracle of the Word of God. Now, the book of Hebrews has a theme, and the theme is the superiority of Jesus Christ. He's superior over all those that preceded him, Moses, uh, Joshua, Elijah, all the prophets. He's superior to all them. And we mentioned that the reason this book was written was because those who received this letter were actually in danger of slipping back into that Old Testament worship, the worship of Judaism, rather than understanding that Jesus Christ came in fulfillment of all those animal sacrifices in the Old Testament. They were beginning to, uh, people who were beginning to experience persecution for their faith, just like it's possible for someone today uh, to experience persecution. Uh, You... um, testify of Jesus and for some people they're going to oh yeah that's right he is the Lord and Savior but there are other people whom you may speak to about Jesus Christ who really don't want to hear uh, the truth about Christ because remember that song we just sang once I was blind but now I can see you see you see Jesus you know who he is you understand the, the glory of Christ but there are some people if they're spiritually blind don't necessarily want to hear about the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, these readers of the book of Hebrews, uh, as well as us today, needed to be um, encouraged to mature spiritually, uh, to grow in their faith. And by the way, we can't grow spiritually if our Bibles stay closed during the week. We really do need to be people of the book. And I want to encourage you and not to put a guilt trip on you. But when you go home today, if you say, you know, I've really been neglecting my Bible, one of the best things you can do is lay it open on the table or lay it open near your bed because we need to be in the Word of God. It's our spiritual food. It really is. It's amazing. Uh, The writer of Hebrews was so desirous uh, that the people grow spiritually and mature in their faith and not think about going back into Old Testament-type worship but recognize that Jesus Christ is the superior Son of God. And he wanted them to understand all that Jesus did for them. And we're going to talk about this again in just a moment. But he wanted them to mature in the faith, to grow. And uh, there, there isn't any one of us who might not be tempted to say, well, you know, I've studied this, I've heard this, and, and to slow down and... Um, to, uh, as he said last week in the passage that we looked at, to drift away from the truth of the Word of God. We need to be very careful. Even the Apostle Paul said, Philippians 3.12, I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. And he's saying, I want to grow spiritually. I want to keep going. I want to go ahead. I want to recognize that God has things planned for me in my life and experience. And I want to experience those things for which Jesus Christ laid hold of me. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12. There are three major sections of this this book of Hebrews. The superiority of Jesus' person in 1.1 to 4.13. The superiority of Jesus' work, 4.14 to 10.18. And then, uh, this is the application of the book, and sometimes uh, we, we don't remember, but I'm trying to remember it. I'm trying to remember, okay, Jesus is superior as a person. He's superior in his work and his sacrifice for our sins, and we're going to see this. What's my result? I have to trust him. 
He's the one that we put our focus on. And the, Bible's, uh, the Bible, the passages of Scripture in Hebrews are going to point to this. The superiority of the Christian's walk of faith. Um, doesn't the Apostle Paul say we walk by faith and not by sight? In other words, we, we can't see all that's going to happen tomorrow. We can't see all that's going to happen next week. We don't know what's going to happen next year. But we're going to trust the one who does, right? We know. We know the Lord's in sovereign control. And we can trust him completely. Now, the uh, again, the writer of Hebrews, as you look into the passage, and we're going to look at this uh, a little carefully, you'll notice in verses um, 6 through 8, that he quotes from Psalm 8. Uh, Bob read this for us this morning. But one testified in a certain place. The psalmist testified, What is man that you are mindful of him? He is talking about, in the psalm, he's talking about the greatness of God's creation, uh, the awesomeness of all that's been created by God. And then he asks the question, What is man that you are mindful of him? You know, that's a great question because he's going to answer the question. He's going to answer the fact that God has blessed man and has crowned him with glory and honor. And that was done again when God created man in his image and gave him dominion over the creation itself. But the interesting thing is I looked at that verse again. What is man that you're mindful of him? Now listen, think about this for a minute. How many people are on the earth today? How many billion? It's up to seven. Yeah. Seven billion people. Does God care about you? He absolutely does. Does he care about me? Yeah. What is man that you're mindful of him? Listen, the psalmist said this. The psalmist said in Psalm 139, How precious are your thoughts to me. You know, sometimes even as believers, we kind of get involved in Christianity, and we get involved in even seeing answers to prayer. And as uh, Nick was mentioning, the blessings that are poured into our lives, and we kind of forget that God really does care about us. And then when the adversities come along, which we did talk about yesterday, adversities come along, we think sometimes we're tempted to think, well, you know, God's not that concerned about me. Look at what I'm going through now. Look at the trial that's here. Look at the things that I'm facing, and I don't know what the future holds. He still cares. He still cares. And that's one of the reasons this psalm was written and quoted by the writer of Hebrews. He cares about us. He crowned mankind with glory and honor when he created them. In fact, that's when God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the fowl of the air. Let man have dominion. Let man take care of our world. But you and I know that man hasn't done a very good job with it. Two major areas that you could think of when you think of man not doing a real good job. The first is in relationship to taking care of natural resources. I mean, there are some places where the pollution's horrific in our world. Natural resources. Uh, I like to canoe and go down the, like the, Shina, uh, the uh, I almost said Shenango, uh, Trinity River. And I was going down the river one time, and nice, it's beautiful, and look at this. And then all of a sudden, I'm, I'm canoeing along, and I said, what in the world is this? You know, will somebody 
backed up a truck and pushed tires and glass and all on the side of the river. And I'm saying to myself, what in the world? Why would they do something like that? Well, because nobody's going to look at it. Yes, they do look at it. And that's pollution. Uh, that's not having dominion over the, the river. That's not taking proper care of resources. And that's what's happened with mankind. The second area is in relationship to government. The chaos and the corruption in the governments of the earth show that man hasn't really done well with regards to having dominion over the things that God has made. Um, Very, very true. There's other areas you could talk about. So the point is that the writer of Hebrews in verses 5 through 9 is talking about the humanity of Christ enabling Jesus to regain man's lost dominion. In other words, when Jesus was here, yes, he was the Son of God. Yes, he was God who became man. But everything that he did was done right. You can count on it. And he had dominion. He had dominion over the fish. Remember he said to the disciples after they had fished for a long time, launch out into the deep. And they said, well, Lord, we've, we've, we've fished all night. We haven't caught anything. Launch out into the deep. And they did what happened. They had this tremendous catch of fish. Uh, with regards to the uh, birds, the fowl, uh, Jesus said to um, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day until you deny me three times. And, of course, Peter's out by the campfire, and uh, the servant girl comes along, and uh, he says, um, Peter says, I do not know who you are speaking about. She said, well, you were with that man, with Jesus of Nazareth. And Peter said, woman, I do not know him. And then the rooster crowed. Who has control over the animal kingdom? Jesus Christ did. As the last Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ regained that lost dominion. And I want you to remember this truth because there's an application from it. If you will with me, go back to Ephesians chapter 1. I want you to notice this. This is an important truth. This is a truth that many people don't think about. That Christ came to have dominion over the things that he has made. And he gives us the authority to have dominion over areas in our lives, you see. But notice Ephesians 1, 20 to 23. I'm going to read it nice and slow. Which he worked in Christ, his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. So Jesus died on the cross, he was buried, he rose again, and then he ascended to the Father in heaven, and he's at the right hand of the Father. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet. There it is. And he put all things under his feet, and gave him to be head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So you see, the Lord Jesus Christ has been given dominion over all things, and he will do all things for the glory of the Father in heaven. We are, as believers, since he's in charge of all things, he's in charge of the church, we're to be submitting ourselves to our Lord. In fact, the application from this is very interesting. The application is stated very clearly in the text that he did all these things for us. And as a result, 
he will enable us to have dominion over the responsibilities that he has given to us if we will seek him. I have a closing verse on that. But keep in mind, Jesus died in order to have dominion over this earth. And he does. And he gave man the right for dominion. But man, as of right now, hasn't exercised the proper dominion and care of our world. That's very important. So it reminds us again that we want the Lord to give us the ability to have the proper care over our responsibilities in life, over our work, over our homes, over our ministries. We need his help, and we'll come back to that. The next thing we see in the text is that his humanity, the humanity of Jesus Christ, enabled him to bring many sons and daughters to glory. 2, 10 to 13. Look at verse 10. For it is fitting for him for whom are all things, by whom are all things, in bringing, me, bringing many sons to glory. Sons and daughters, it could be translated, by the way. To make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. The captain of their salvation means the pioneer, the one who leads the way. The Lord Jesus Christ, again, set aside his glory, took upon himself flesh and blood, God became a man, in order that he might bring many sons and daughters to glory, to heaven to be with him. We used to sing a song years ago, Only Glory By and By. Remember that one? Only Glory By and By. When we cross the river to our home on high, Only Glory By and By. Only Glory By and By. Heaven's going to be an awesome place. And sometimes we, um, we fail to... Uh, encourage people who may be closer to going to heaven uh, we fail to encourage them with regards to realizing you're going to be in the presence of God you're going to be seeing his glory you will be brought into the presence of God 2 Corinthians 5 8 we are confident yes well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord Jesus died in order that many sons could go to glory. Now notice also, if you would with me, verse 11, where he says, For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. For this reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, brothers. We have a very unique relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, uh, we are called his brothers, and sisters, there's a spiritual union that we have with the Lord Jesus Christ. This is very important truth. Uh, you'll notice it says that we share the same. Uh, we, we share with Christ uh, the, um, the human and the spiritual. That's the point. Uh, we and the Lord Jesus Christ share the same nature and belong to the same spiritual family. We're in the family of God. You received spiritual life when you were saved. And um, the Lord spoke about this in John 15 when he said, I am the vine and you are the branches. See, we're vitally connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, that's why we encourage one another with the truth of eternal security. Because you and I are joined to Jesus. Why did he become man? 
in order to die for our sins and that we might be joined to him spiritually. He said, I'm the vine and you are the branches. We are vitally connected to him. And this truth, again, sets the Christian faith totally apart from all the religions of the world. Think of it this way. No other religion with its founders allows its people to be spiritually joined to them. Listen to it this way. The Buddhist does not claim to be joined to Buddha. The Confucius does not claim to be joined to Confucius. The Muslim does not claim to be joined to Mohammed, but we claim to be joined to Jesus. That's awesome. And he's going to take care of us. It's true, Christians can wander. Uh, we always have to admit the reality of Scripture and what it teaches. We can wander, but you see, a true Christian never leaves that joint relationship with Jesus Christ. Oh, they can wander way off. Second Peter chapter 1 even says that a Christian can wander off so far they even forget about their born-again experience. And we've known people like that over the years. They have wandered so far away from God that people even say, I don't know if they're saved or not. That's not a good condition to be in when you have people evaluating your your experience and saying, I don't know if they're saved or not. God wants us to live in a way that honors him. We are vitally connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. Very, very important truth in the word of God. Jesus said, I have chosen you and appointed you that you should go and bear forth fruit and the fruit shall remain. Because of your relationship to Christ, he wants you to have um, fruit in your life. You will do things in this life that will bring blessing to others. You will do things in this life that will lead other people to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There will be fruit in your life. Now, if there's not fruit, it could be because, and I don't just mean leading someone else to faith in Christ. There's different kinds of fruit for God mentioned in Scripture. But the point is, uh, sometimes on the branches, uh, there are little shoots that come out. And uh, these shoots that come on the branches, rather than the branches growing and producing good fruit, they take the sap out of the branch. And so the Lord has to come along and he has to prune the branches. And it's not easy, is it? (laughs) It can be painful, right, when the Lord is pruning us. Pruning is painful, it hurts, and it cuts. But, of course, the point of it is the Lord allowing trials. And as Nick asked us to do yesterday morning, let's, let's talk about things we're thankful for, some adversities in our lives, because when we look back on those adversities, we see that God allowed those adversities in order that we might be more fruitful for him. The writer of Hebrews is going to say when we get up to chapter 12 someday, uh, now no chastening or pruning seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So, yes, yes, let's get realistic. The Lord does allow us to go through pain sometimes and suffering. It's never to hurt us. Never is going to hurt us. But he allows us to experience certain things so that we, in turn, might have lives that are fruitful for him. Just quickly, the third major area of this passage of Scripture 
is found in 2.14 to 16. If you look at it with me, we'll just barely touch on it. 2.14 says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him that hath the power of death, that is, the devil. Our Lord took upon himself a human nature in order that he might die in our place and pay the price for our sin. You see, Satan, before Christ, had power over us. And that was giving us fear of death, encouraging us to sin, trying to keep us away from God. But Jesus Christ comes along and he destroys or he breaks the power of Satan. I love this reference that it says very clearly. Verse 14. He himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might. And a better translation would be take the power away from him. Satan wasn't totally destroyed, but his power was taken away. And uh, some of you have had teachers in school, high school perhaps, college, and things they've said just stick with you. And uh, I still remember Dr. Dwight Pentecost at Dallas Seminary, a great Bible teacher. He would say when he was dealing with a passage of Scripture like this, he would say, men don't forget that Satan has no authority over your life. You belong to Jesus Christ. And if he has any authority, I mean, you may be giving him some leeway in your life, but he has no authority over you because you belong to, you're under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. How awesome that is. Jesus Christ conquered Satan and he conquered death for us. He died and was buried, and he rose again. And I think one of the most important verses in Scripture is John 14, 19, where Jesus said to the disciples, Because I live, you shall live also. And uh, you know the verse that says, uh, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, even though he will die, yet shall he live. So as soon as you die, instantly, you're in the presence of the Lord. That's why Jesus Christ came and took upon himself flesh and blood. A fundamental truth of the gospel story is that God became man and he tasted death for every man. He tasted death and made death to be for us the pathway into the presence of God. You know, we need to hear that often. We really do. Here's a passage of scripture. Maybe you've heard it, maybe you haven't, and we'll uh, end clearly in just a moment. Death is a very harsh reality. It really is. And yet many people rarely consider the fact that death is in their future. And that's why the writer of Scripture, the writer of um, Ecclesiastes, Solomon said, don't miss this now. It's better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. For that is the end of all men, and the living will take it to heart. In other words, he was saying, please don't miss this now. You could say this to people and they're going to laugh. But it's not anything to laugh about. It's better to go to a funeral than to go to a party. Don't ever forget it. It's better to go to a funeral than to a party. Because when you're at the funeral, you realize someone's gone from this life. And oftentimes when you go to a funeral, you ask yourself, wonder where they went. Not all the time. If you're with a believer, you say, well, I know they're in the presence of the Lord. 
But you see, when you go to a funeral service and people who don't know Christ go to a funeral service, it gets them thinking. You know, the day is going to come when there's going to be a calling and we can be ready through our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Very, very important truth. I mention this almost at every funeral service. I like to start with it. The death of the saints is precious in the sight of the Lord. In other words, don't miss this, please, and we'll close in prayer in a minute. When you die, that's precious to the Lord. Now, we don't like to see loved ones taken from us. It's very hard and it's very difficult. Let's get the perspective. When a true Christian dies, I'm going to let you finish it. I'll start it you finish it. Absent from the body is? Vitally important. And you may say, boy, I've heard that many, many times. Keep hearing it because that's an encouragement. Living in a world where we're not really living in the land of the living. We're living in the land of the dying. And we who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior know that when we die, let's do it one more time, to be absent from the body is to be? Let's close in prayer.